0: Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to another episode of The Andrew Lawton Show. Happy Monday to you all. And if you are Christian, happy Easter Monday. Hope you got to enjoy the long weekend in spite of the lockdowns and quarantines and stress and anguish. And I hope that uh, not being able to let your kids run outside after they've overloaded on chocolate wasn't too arduous a task for you. My brother and his wife sent a video of their three kids doing their Easter egg hunt and it looked like they were having a a grand old time. I was exhausted from just watching the video. I didn't even need to be there to just like have the overload of energy. So I hope you were able to, if you had kids in the building with you, manage your way through that. Uh, but in all honesty, it is very cute when you see kids that are otherwise unfazed by everything that's happening right now, able to just go about their day and enjoy their Easter. It was nice to see a lot of friends and family in that boat. So I hope that was you and hope you were able to do that. It is great to be with you for another week of the Andrew Lawton Show here. And a little bit of a different week, I think, as we're going forward. Uh, It looks like the daily briefings from Justin Trudeau might be stopping now that Parliament has reconvened a bit. We don't know if he's going to go back to doing a daily briefing or not. He actually took his first day... Off from doing it on Easter Saturday, and then Easter Sunday and Monday, he took as complete personal time. And I, I'm not actually going to jump on him, as I know a lot of you are going to, because he has been going seven days a week doing these press briefings. And that's not to say I like everything he's been doing for the other uh, parts of the seven days, but you know, doing the not uh, briefing thing for a couple of days, I, I don't think is going to hurt the world too too much. I did want to start off on a bit more of a not a personal note, but with a personal story, because I experienced something last week that added a dimension to this that I hadn't been confronted with yet. And I had to go to the bank, which is not in and of itself an exceptional thing. I do online banking. I I do all of that. I haven't had to go into a physical bank. Bank branch is a hard thing to say. Haven't had to go into a physical bank branch for quite some time. Last week I had to, reason why not important, but I was there and just know like, I knew that I didn't want to go there, but I had to. So I went there, and the bank had shut down its hours quite a bit. They had restricted it to really just four hours that they're open now every day. And it's in a senior's area, an area where a lot of seniors live. So that doesn't really matter to me, but it, it certainly was the reason that I experienced what I ultimately experienced And like a lot of businesses, they had set up these barriers outside the entrance so that before you even get into the location, you've had to be sufficiently socially distanced from everyone else in line. And what the bank was doing, and I think this is typical of all banks, I've looked around a bit and I don't think it was just this one particular institution, which I won't name. And the people that worked at the bank, and there were a lot of them, by the way, very well staffed, were asking everyone in that line what they were there to do. And if they were there to do something that could be done online or could be done at an ATM, they were not allowed to go into the bank. Now, in our case, uh, my wife and I, we needed to go into the bank, so we were allowed in. It was like, answer me these questions three. You have to answer all the quiz questions before you can get inside but other people in line were not eligible to go inside. Now I wanna stress again, this is a bank for seniors. So when the person who works at the bank, or not a bank for seniors, but an area that a lot of seniors are in. So when someone who's working at the bank says to uh, the 80 year old in the walker, uh, you can just transfer that money online. You can just check your uh, bank statement online. You can do all this online. I'm kind of on team granny here, Because this is a woman who has never had to do online banking, a woman who, even though the world has changed around her, still goes to this branch every week, every month, whatever it is. And she was actually a bit stressed. She wanted to make sure her rent had come out. She wanted to see how much money she had left. She wanted to withdraw money. And I could tell from this very brief exchange that this is a woman who had a, a fixed income. She does not know how much money is in her account unless she sees it and has never had to go through the process of, of looking this up on this thing called the internet before. And there was another woman in front of us as well in the line who wanted to do something that was relatively simple. She wanted to transfer money from one account to another and make a withdrawal. And they were saying, no, you have to use the ATM. Now I understand why and I and I understand that the bank has tried to make it so that their tellers are not exposed and so that they're not creating a risk here. But the antidote was, if you can do it on an ATM, you have to, we will help you do it. So we'll stand behind you and show you what buttons to press and where everything is and all of that. And this is where some of the seniors were just digging their heels in a bit because they just don't want to use the ATM. They just don't want to. It's not that they don't think they can. It's They just don't want to do anything new. So the solution that's being offered to them is not acceptable to them. Uh, the bank employees were holding firm and not letting people go in. I actually felt bad that I got to go in because there's a part of me that's like, for crying out loud, you want, you know, $40 out of your account, just let me do it. And it was actually my wife that had pointed out, like, imagine if the wrong person is offering to help them. I mean, we hear all the time about the importance of seniors being protected and seniors and anyone who's vulnerable, but especially seniors being protected because it is easy to prey on people through technology who don't understand the technology because they're part of a, a generation that never had to use it. So imagine if they're saying you have to use the ATM and I'm standing behind and they think I'm a good Samaritan. I'm like, oh, you, I, I'll use the ATM for you. Give me your card. Give me your pin. Yeah, come on up. I'll, I'll do it for you. And again, it it would be in my instinct to do that, to help people. There are other people that are probably not going to take it with the same approach and not have, uh, you know, purer motives when they do something like this. And that actually breaks my heart, knowing that those people are out there. And we know this because we see and hear stories all the time about seniors who are financially exploited. So I'm not saying that the bank is causing seniors to be financially exploited. I'm saying that there is a reason these people go into the teller because that is the form of banking they understand and it's the form of banking they trust. And if you force them outside of their comfort zone, as this situation is doing, you're opening up the door for other problems that fall into that growing, growing category of unintended consequences of our COVID-19 response. And this isn't about blame, it was for me about perspective, where I saw this dimension that I had not thought of. And I know people are hurting, and I know people are suffering, and I know people are taking a financial hit. And I, had, and I knew that seniors were hurt by what's happening in the sense of being cut off from the world. You know, I've heard stories about seniors just being scared, terrified to go to the grocery store and they might not have someone they can lean on to call and get groceries for them. So I, I understand all of that, but I hadn't thought of this financial exploitation angle And again, it could be that I'm aware of a problem that doesn't exist, that hasn't happened. And, And I hope that is the case. I hope this is not something that does happen. But it's, you know, even if you take away that financial abuse component, it still is forcing people that have lived through so much, people that have lived through so much to adapt to something that they've managed to avoid up until this point. My grandmother passed away a few years ago at the age of 100 and she knew how the TV worked she knew how her landline push button phone worked very little other technology had entered into her life and she was happy with that and again she had I think done a couple of Skype calls if someone else just literally held it in front of her so she understood it but you know she never had an email address she never had a cell phone she never needed any of these things and and never wanted any of these things and I, I think her cable package was just the basic one that came and as long as she had her figure skating that was enough. And again, this is a woman who lived through a war and most of these people that we're talking about now that we see having difficulties in whatever bank or grocery store are people that have lived through wars. They've lived through more world events than you could count. And they've never had to go down that road of adopting some of these technologies. And That's not to say that they shouldn't have. I mean, there are some people that, yes, they could have. And certainly the ATM is one of those things where it's not as daunting as online banking. The buttons are right on the screen there. But I would like to see a little bit more compassion from, not retailers, because I don't think retailers are are the example here, but from banking people. Like, if your banks are open, if your tellers are there, And the interesting thing was, I didn't take a picture because I would have felt taking a picture of people doing their banking for obvious reasons, but the irony is that the congregation around the ATMs was actually causing there to be more of an unsocially distanced bottleneck than would have happened if people were just allowed into the bank to do their business with the teller. And by the way, the tellers had screens in front of them, there was a table between you and the counter, the machine for you to put your card in was like four feet away, or actually six feet away from the teller, so it's not even like the inside of the bank seemed like all of that risky an environment and they were wiping down the, the pin pads between things. But my goodness, like it was actually worse the way that they were proposing was the way around it. So I do think that we need to have a, a level of compassion here. And I go back to what has become a theme on this show in the last however many weeks, uh, which is the growing divide between the stated intentions of certain things and the unintended consequences. And I'm not going to say unintended benefits because they're almost all drawbacks, these things. And, you know, the reason we've been talking about this is because the more we go along with this and the further we go, the more we're seeing is in that column of, hmm, we didn't think that was going to happen. You know, I talked last week about the divide between public order and public health and how a lot of the measures that we see coming from law enforcement across Canada and across the Western world more fall into that public order column than public health. Another case over the weekend, an Oakville, Ontario family was hit with an $880 fine for the egregious offense of rollerblading in an empty parking lot. Now, this is on Friday, Good Friday. Todd Nelson took his sons, Liam, Brandon, and Dustin to the parking lot of Glen Abbey Community Center to go rollerblading. After 45 minutes, a bylaw officer pulled up and told them they had to go. Uh, The one guy, the dad said, who are we hurting? And uh, he then apparently was uh, antagonizing by asking, who are we hurting? Now, these things you always have to take with a grain of salt, because when people say I was just polite and asking a question, it could have been they were mouthing off and swearing. So I'm not saying the dad's completely innocent on this exchange with him and the bylaw officer, because I just don't know. But then the bylaw officer said, give me your ID. The ticket was 750 plus a, I think it was like the victim surcharge or whatever, even though uh, there are no victims to this crime, you have to pay for victims of other of real crimes. Uh, so $880 for violating the emergency order issued by the Ontario government that closed outdoor recreation centers. So again, you are at an empty recreation center. No one else is there. You're with your family. You're properly socially distanced and the bylaw officer violates the social distance by walking towards you and your family to give you an $880 ticket. Now, interestingly enough, the parking lot had no tape or no pylons telling people not to enter. I would say it's a fairly safe assumption that if something's outdoor, it's not closed off. At the same time, a friend of mine uh, told me over the weekend that they had, uh, I think it was a cousin of theirs, that was ticketed for sitting on a park bench. Sitting on a bench, and the ticket was probably in the same range, $880. So this is is exactly what we're seeing more of. Toronto's like, well, well, you know, we, we think education's important. If people don't buy into this, if you're saying don't go outside to big parties and don't go to other people's houses for big parties, and uh, you're saying you're allowed to go for a walk, but you can't go for a rollerblade if you go into a parking lot, like these things don't make sense. There was a family... That I saw that found a workaround. They are a rock climbing family. They like doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, They decided to just create a rock climbing uh, circuit in their kitchen by the looks of it. So, if you take a look at at the picture, I mean, this is how people can sometimes rise to the occasion and find solutions, even if uh, it is in unlikely places. But they decided they were going to just turn their kitchen into a bit of a rock climbing court. Uh, They are going from counter to counter they're wearing their cables the helmets apparently are just for show and that was uh, the route they went according to this article in the Toronto Star was from the breakfast bar to the opposite counter past the dishwasher under the sink ending with a triumphant summit of the stove uh, but I would not trust my kitchen cabinets for this uh, feat of strength. Actually, I wouldn't trust myself for this feat of strength. I, I wouldn't trust anything about this. I would trust the rope but nothing that the rope was holding on to. but but this is what's happening. If you're not even allowed to go outside, then how on earth are you going to uh, get your uh, you know fitness goals in and get your step goals in and do all of this stuff? And there was a case in the UK, that I found interesting here. Police told a family to leave their own garden. Police told a family to leave their own garden. Apparently, they thought that uh, no one was allowed to be outside. They apologized. They apologized after. They told the family, which was a a family in Rotherham, okay, you shouldn't, uh, I guess, have been told not to. But the police thought that your front garden was banned. And the footage of this encounter was just egregious. They said, the virus does not stop at your front gardens. A thousand people died yesterday. A thousand people. And this was a gentleman by the name of Daniel Connell, who was just playing with two babies three meters from the pavement. And police said no. Now, yes, they apologized. But why I have to point this out is that Rotherham was the hotbed of the migrant grooming gang crisis that we've talked about on the show in the past that I've interviewed Tommy Robinson about. Rotherham was where you had police turning a blind eye for years on grooming gangs that were abducting, raping, trafficking young girls, not just teens, but but young girls as young as 12 years old. And in Rotherham, police were like, oh, we don't want to be seen as Islamophobic. And there was a massive inquiry into Rotherham. There has been not nearly enough punishment or attention to this but for the longest time police and media were giving no attention whatsoever and in Rotherham the police are going after you for playing in your garden this is what police care about you know my friend Mark Stein has a great line that I think is apropos here police in Britain police everything except for actual crime And we've heard cases in Britain where police have gone after people for so-called offensive tweets. They've now gone after people for playing in their garden. But you have sex grooming gangs in Rotherham and police are nowhere to be found. And this is UK, which seems to be a lot more nanny oriented on these things. But it's the same mentality in Canada. It really is the same mentality that's seeping in here, which is why we need to push back against this. And this is not about minimizing coronavirus or COVID-19. It's about saying that when public order becomes the priority, it's no longer a public health crisis that we're looking at here. I mean, take a look at this example where Apple and Google have agreed to hand over Bluetooth data and sell data to the government for the purposes of what's called contact tracing. So let's say that you are out into the world and a couple days later, you start coughing and develop a fever and you test positive for COVID-19. The contact tracing role is about finding anyone that you've had contact with and letting them know so that they can put themselves in isolation and anyone who's been in contact with you can be in isolation so that you're not seeing that exponential growth like you saw from, I think it was patient 31 in South Korea. Now, contact tracing is very important. I get that. It's very difficult. It's very resource-intensive. Well, what's happening now as of Friday is Apple and Google, which own and run the Android and iPhone operating systems, are enabling the use of Bluetooth technology to help governments and health agencies reduce the spread of the virus with user privacy and security central to the design. Now, what they'll be doing is allowing you to basically be contacted by your phone if your phone has been near the phone of someone else who tested positive for coronavirus, someone else for whom contact tracing is supposed to be done. And if you look at this here, what's fascinating is that this means the government is using your cell phone data for the public health crisis. Now, yes, it's a noble intention, but it's not a far cry to get from here to enforcement. It's not that difficult to jump from where this announcement takes us to, hmm, I see six cell phones in the same uh, geographic vicinity. That sounds like a violation of the emergency order. Why don't, why don't we just send police down there to, to check out what's going on? Six cell- no one needs to have six cell phones together right now. And to be clear this is uh, police have already said that they don't intend on doing this at some levels other police departments have said they will be using cell phone data so it's not like this hasn't factored into the mix in the first place it's just now you have a deal that seemingly endorses the idea that government should be looking at cell phone data and you know I th- the one thing that is good about this is it's opt in and I get that it's being done for your protection but I would caution people to not opt in with as much gusto as you might because you have to accept and basically you have to believe that the stated purpose will never be the final purpose of a program like this. Like, And, and this goes beyond just, oh, you're going to get an Amber Alert like everyone's been getting in Ontario and I think other provinces have probably done them as well. This is actually personal targeted cell phone data, your information, your location that the government is using for the purposes of of tracing the virus. And the benefit of this is, okay, if you're at the grocery store and someone else at the grocery store that same day had it, you're notified. But be very careful of what happens with this. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a civil liberties proponent. I believe in privacy rights. I don't buy into that whole if you have nothing to hide thing because ultimately privacy is not about just whether you have something to hide. It's about a far more fundamental value. But it's also about looking a couple of steps ahead. And what's that old Wayne Gretzky line? Skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck has been. I think it was a soccer reference. But the whole point is when the soccer puck is going a couple of feet ahead, you've got to go there and you've got to know where it's going and don't just play to what's happening now. Because remember, since the very beginning of this, the government has been behind the curve. The government has continued to follow other things. And it's not just about the border, but it's about border shutdown, travel restrictions, emergency wage subsidy, aid packages, all of this. The government has been one place on a Monday. On a Wednesday, they go a couple of steps further. On a Friday, they go a couple of steps further. So never accept that when you hear something like this, and okay, but we're taking privacy very seriously, that it's going to end there because in a couple of days, the infrastructure will have already been set up. The infrastructure will already be there. And now the purpose is apparently required to go a little bit further. So that's why you should never take these things at face value. And it's not about distrust in the telecom companies or distrust in the government. Well, it is about distrust in the government. But it's about something, I think, more significant than that, which is that if you start to make cell phone data public domain, If you start to make cell phone data something that becomes just a a switch you flip in response to a crisis, my fear is that the bar for crisis is going to get lower and lower. We all agree that COVID-19 is distinct and it's unprecedented. Well, I shouldn't say we all agree. I still get like the coronavirus truthers. But most people, I think, agree that this is a different animal than what we've dealt with in the past. What if all of a sudden the government says, you know what, this flu season this year looks really bad. Let's uh, flip on cell phones uh, for contact tracing for the flu. And then what happens if it uh, goes the other way? Uh, You know, and you keep moving further and further. I don't think people are going to necessarily see why that is so dangerous. And, And that's why I hammer these things as hard as I do. Because I know there are a lot of people out there, and I know many of them, who don't understand the importance of protecting your information, protecting your identity, protecting your property, and protecting your rights against the government. And the people that do care about these things... The people that do get nervous about government overreach and government encroachment and government's uh, malignant alliance with big tech companies, the people that do care about these things have to care extra because of all of those who don't care, all of those who will just hand over everything if a police officer asks nicely, and even if they don't, just because they quote unquote have nothing to hide. You know, I said uh, last week that that kid in uh, Calgary or Cochrane, Alberta, rather, who was pulled over because he was in the car with someone else. If it weren't a legal requirement to identify yourself because of COVID-19, I would tell someone who uh, was harassing me for going out for a walk to pound salt if I didn't legally had to. And it's not because I don't respect police. It's because I, I do not respect the application of law enforcement, this application to target people for doing things that are actually harming no one, that are actually harming no one. We've seen stories all over the world right now about how mental health problems are up because when you keep people cooped up, it obviously takes a toll on their mind. So if someone is going out for a walk, someone is going for a skate, someone is going to a park of some kind, and they're not near anyone, they're not, you know, partying it up like those spring breakers a few weeks back on the beach... Why on earth would you harass them? Why on earth would they become the focus of law enforcement efforts? And this is not about individual police. The police are the ones who are having to respond to, I think, directions they're getting from higher up. And things are a bit better in Canada than they are in the UK. But my goodness, I am not at all going to be one of these people that just rolls over even with a public health crisis, when there is no public health benefit to some of these laws that are being enforced. So my recommendation is to ignore a lot of these things that don't actually matter. That's what society, no, that's what I I guess law enforcement agencies should be doing. These things that don't matter, like, oh, you know, a couple of people playing at a park, great. If the park is packed, okay, then you can reevaluate. You know, I had someone comment on this uh, show, on the previous episode, I think, saying, well, if you don't ticket people now, eventually the parks are going to be overloaded. I don't like that slippery slope argument because you can actually go after that if that happens. If there is a big gathering of people, then you can go in and say, ah, you're breaking the rules now. We cut you a bit of slack and you didn't. You know, the Reality for a lot of people here is that they are being conscientious. They are being aware. They are being cautious. They're doing all the things they're supposed to. And for the most part, I'm convinced they think that they're following the rules by going to a park. I mean, now that a parking lot of a rec center has apparently been deemed a no-go zone, I don't even know if an actual park is allowed in some parts of the country. If you can just walk through a park. Because some people are saying you can walk through, but you can't stop. So you have to like play that the floor is lava game at every park you go to, as long as you don't stop moving, as long as you make sure to step on the right spots. I mean, it's like you're walking through a landmine field now, except, oh, you step this uh, two feet to the right. Now you get a ticket. Two feet to the left, you get a ticket. So (laughs) this is not going to end well the longer this goes on. Look, there was a report in the U.S. that said there could be rolling lockdowns for the next 18 months. And we've heard similar numbers in Canada. This is something that could go as long as two years. Now, it doesn't mean that we're living in the circumstances we're finding ourselves in now for two years. If the first wave ends at the end of summer, then we all say, yay, we get to come out. And then, you know, perhaps we're back in come November, December. But the point is that this will last a long time. And if you deny people the right, when it is hurting no one and putting no one in jeopardy to go out for a walk, you're going to have a lot bigger problems on your table here because it will be about unrest. And you're not just containing a virus anymore. You're containing social unrest, civil unrest. People don't trust the government. People don't respect the government. People don't trust or respect law enforcement. All because you didn't want to let them take a walk in an empty park. So be very mindful of these unintended consequences of taking a public order approach to what is actually a much greater challenge. Just a shorter episode today. I know it's a holiday and I know it's a long weekend. We'll be back in full force on Wednesday, I guarantee you. But my thanks to all who tuned in and all who have written into the show and wished a happy Easter. My responding message is a happy Easter to all of you as well. We'll be back in a couple of days with more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.